0: So this is our final part of The Generous Life, and our hope for this series is to equip you to be more generous, not just to do generous things, because I think we all know how to do generous things, but to really talk about what it takes to live the generous life. And today, as we wrap things up, I'm going to give you one important step. In fact, I'm, gonna call it, I'm calling it the most important step that anyone can take in order to live the generous life. And we're going to get to that real soon. But first, I want to give a couple of things that we've heard so far in this series. And also, this will set us up for what we're going to be talking about today. The first thing is that pretty much everyone wants to be generous. We all crave the generous life. And maybe to put it better, everyone wants to be known as generous. Because, here's the sinful nature side of things... When you're known as generous, people are more likely to be generous toward you. Everyone wants to be known as generous because usually it comes back in a good way toward you. But what we saw in week one is that that's not the kind of generosity we're talking about. We're talking about the grace of giving, giving without any expectations in return. Giving because that's how God gave to us. It's, it's a grace-focused generosity, which makes it excessively difficult. And we're going to get into this today. Grace-focused giving is so hard because how about this? How, how long would you give to someone who doesn't appreciate your gift? How long would you keep giving to someone who doesn't say thank you? Or how long would you keep giving to someone who takes your gift and throws it away? Yet this is what we are called to as followers of Jesus, not just to want to be known as a generous person, but to freely have the grace of giving that we give to everyone. And we're gonna tackle some of those challenges today with the grace of giving as we get into this most important step of living the generous life. First, one other thing, it's that everyone can be generous. Uh, We saw this a lot um, in our part two, where it doesn't matter what you have, you can make an impact in your world, in your life. With what God has given you. We're gonna see this a little bit more today, also. But with these two things put together, I wanna give you the most important step that will help guard the grace of giving, but also enable you to put into practice this gift of generosity. And here's the big thing we're gonna look at today. I'm gonna give you the bottom line, the big idea right away, and then we're gonna see how God reinforces this through the scripture we're looking at. Godly generosity simply requires a plan the most important step you can take towards the godly life is to have a plan for your generosity. And what God is going to show us today is how a plan guards the grace of giving and how a plan motivates it, pushes it out to the world. And there's so many different factors to this. I just wanted to make sure we get to the main point. This is the most important step. And then as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it's going to tell us why and how and where and what it looks like. All these different factors are going to come together today as we look at this most important step as we wrap up this series. So what I know about you is that for followers of Jesus, you are compelled, motivated to the grace of giving. What I also know is that it's going to be very difficult to maintain a life of that kind of generosity. So today we're going to look at the most important step to make a plan for this kind of life. Now, the interesting thing about 2 Corinthians is that this is what we started with in this series. Ben started with 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He spent a lot of time getting into the background of why this letter in the New Testament was written and why Paul, a pastor in the first century, decided to write it. And since three weeks ago, he already told you all that stuff, I was like, good, you already know everything, so I don't need to repeat it, right? So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, let's just jump right in. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people. And this perfectly summarizes everything Ben told us in week one of the series. Now, in case you weren't here, it's pretty simple. The people in Corinth wanted to be generous. They made this big promise to help some Christians in Jerusalem. And now Paul was following up to see how things were going. For those who are visual learners, here's the map that has been used in week one. So in here, over in Greece, we have the city of Corinth. This is where those Christians were located. Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians. And... The, the, the gift that they wanted to give were, was to some Christians in Jerusalem, here in the bottom right. We don't know exactly what was going on in Jerusalem. It could have been persecution or some other hardship. But when the people in Corinth, the Christians in Corinth, heard what was going on with the Christians in Jerusalem, they were moved to do something. They said, we want to make a difference. And they told Paul, what can we do? What can we do? We want to do something. We want to really bless the Christians in Jerusalem. And so they made this promise. We will help them. We will send this amount of money. We will send these gifts. We're not entirely sure what the promise was, but they promised to help. And here's the thing. As Paul continued, he then went up to Macedonia and he told them, hey, these people down in Achaia, they made this crazy pledge to help the Christians in Jerusalem. And when word got to Macedonia, what the people in Achaia were promising, they were like, we want in. We don't want them to have all the fun of making this huge impact for the people in Jerusalem. We're going to make our own pledge. And soon word spread about this cause, this GoFundMe that had started in the first century to help these Christians in Jerusalem. They made a big promise, but now Paul is following up. It's been some time. He wants to know how this promise is coming along. And so verse two goes like this. He says, I know your eagerness to help you were so eager. I couldn't contain your excitement and I've I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians up north, telling them since last year, this has been building for a while, that you and Achaia were ready to give and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. This was a pledge long in the making. This was not a, hey, pass out the baskets, let's see what we can send, but they made a big promise that would take several months to to build up and send off to Jerusalem. And so Paul says, I've been telling your story to other people. And here's where the tricky part comes in, verse three. He says, but I'm sending the brothers, and this sounds ominous. It almost sounds like I'm sending Brutus. I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. I said you'd be ready. I told them what you promised. I told you what you said you'd do. And I don't want this to prove hollow. Like we don't know what we're talking about. He says this, if, what, what, what about this? What if, on uh, next slide, what if the Macedonians hear about this? They get all excited. And what if, what if any of them come with me and find you unprepared? We, Paul talking about himself, not to say anything about you, <laughs> would be ashamed of having been so confident. And this is the only time he's going to bring this into a personal matter, like they have something at stake. But he says, this is just common sense. You made a pledge to help. People are counting on it. People have joined it. What if we were too confident? A promise is good. But a promise is nothing if there is no plan to go along with it. So, Paul says, next slide, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers, the brothers, to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Paul says, I could, have, I could just show up when collection time is due. When you said you'd have this gift ready, I, I could just show up And you could be unprepared, but I could guilt you into fulfilling your obligation. I, Paul, an apostle of Christ, could obligate you to fulfill what you've promised. And I could get the money, I could get the goods, whatever it is, and I could deliver them and people in Jerusalem would be happy, but that's not what I want. The kind of gifts that God loves is not the ones that are grudgingly given, but the ones that come from a cheerful heart. So I, Paul, am sending the brothers to come to you in advance. To make sure that you're making a plan to make good on your promise. Because a promise, no matter how generous it is, a promise will turn into a grudging obligation if there is no plan to carry it along. Here's what Paul is recognizing it had been some time since the people had been moved to a gift, time had moved them further from when they were first moved to give. And maybe you've found this to be true in your own life as well. There was something in the news. There was something on your Facebook feed. And you thought to yourself, I need to help. I want to give. I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. And then the next day rolled around and the next week and the next month. And you saw so many other things that flooded your heart. That suddenly time had moved you further away from what you were first moved to do. And I think this is a common reason why many of us drift away from the generous life is because we say, well, I'll, I'll wait until later in life to be generous. I'll wait until I have a better position, until I make more money, until I have more time, and then I'll be generous with what I have. But here's the thing. Time does not improve your generosity. Time just proves your generosity. And the more time goes by, the less likely you will be moved Action for what first moved you. So Paul knew this. He was talking to his Corinthians. He says, It's been some time. You've you've been you were moved. I know your enthusiasm. I know your promise. But unless you have a plan, this promise for generosity will turn into a grudging obligation. And that's not what I want. That's not what God wants. He wants a cheerful giver. So here's the first thing that we see about a plan: a plan allows you to make a decision that will outlast emotion. Maybe a decision that will survive the emotion. That where there is truly a a cause that is something you can help with, a decision, a plan will help make sure that your emotion doesn't affect your generosity. The generous life, the, the grace of giving is going to be guarded when you have set a decision, a plan, and you have settled with it. A plan allows you to make a decision that will outlast any emotion. And this isn't to say that you, should change, you shouldn't change your, your giving or how you're generous. You should always evaluate the best way to make a difference in the world. But what you need to be careful of is that you don't let time move you from what should be moving you. And a plan helps you make a decision that will outlast that emotion. As Paul gets into this next part, first of all, some of you are saying, you can't be preaching about this because this isn't in the bulletin. Verses 1 through 5 aren't in there. And some of you are like, hey, eh, what's going on here? Okay, so we're done with the introductory part. I felt I needed to share this part with you because it was important and it helps set the stage for what's coming up next. But what Paul says next, if you just take it out of context, it might sound like this. It might sound like whoever is generous in this life will be even more generous with what they receive. If you give a lot, you'll get even more. And here, let's just look at what Paul says. He says, remember this, whoever, and whenever he says this, it means here's a rule of life. Here's a principle that we all agree with. Whoever sows sparingly, planting just a few seeds will also reap sparingly. There won't be much to gather. Also, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And in the context of giving and generosity, our first inclination is to think, well, wait a minute. This might benefit me. Sorry, I crackled there. This might benefit me a little bit. So you're saying the more I give, the greater, the more multiplied I will receive— And I'm just going to tell you, this is absolutely not what he's saying, because if this were true, that the more you give, the more you receive, he would have written this to the Christians in Jerusalem. I know of your hardship, give more and you will receive more. And that would have been the end of it. And he would never have had to write this to the Christians in Corinth. So he's not saying that more generosity means that you will receive more in return. That's an earthly way of thinking. Rather, as he goes on, he clarifies what he means by the sowing and the reaping. He says this, each of you, just think about this, each of you, thinking about sowing and reaping, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. So you put these seeds down. Think about it. Decide for yourself, in your heart, to yourself, what you want to give. Don't do this reluctantly. Don't do this under compulsion. You you shouldn't be doing this because I, Paul, an apostle of Christ, am commanding you to do so because God loves a cheerful giver. As you put down your seeds of generosity, think about what you want to do. And then he goes back to this picture and he clarifies it even more. He says, if God, and God is able to bless you abundantly. The, the word bless is literally the word grace. He graces you abundantly. He gives you grace abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, see the, he's kind of sharing a, a focus there. He says, you will abound in every monetary way, in every good work. This is not a harvest of money, it's not a harvest of, of um, other people's time, it's, it's not a monetary thing. He's, he says, as, as it is written, and he quotes an Old Testament uh, quote, he says, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, talking about righteous people, then he says, their righteousness endures forever. The harvest is something greater than we could ever count. Okay, so what is Paul saying here? In the context of 2 Corinthians, what he's saying here is the blessing of a plan is that it makes you very intentional with what you are doing today. What you sow today, what you plan today, will have an impact on what you reap in the future. He's telling these Corinthians, there's going to be a time for you to send in your gift What you plan today, what you sow today will impact what happens when we come around from Macedonia to collect the gift and send it off to Jerusalem. And the end result is not that you will receive even more in return, but the end result is that God's people will be served and your fruits of faith will be evident. This is a way for sacrificial giving, expecting nothing in return. The result is righteousness, something that can't be taken away. It's for God's glory. It's for people's good. And here's the blessing in this for you and for me. When you take time to make a plan, it forces you to sit down and decide in your own heart what generosity looks like for you. I think the biggest danger in the generous life is comparing our generous life to other people's generous lives. I can say, just speaking for myself, that I can say, well, I can't make an impact like other people can, so I'll let them live the generous life and I'll just do my own little thing and live my whatever life. But the generous life doesn't focus on other people. It says just decide in your own heart what you want to give, what you want to sow today, what you want to do. And it forces you to envision the generous life for you. And I think that's the blessing in it right there. Number two, a plan makes you define what the, generous looks, what the generous life looks like for you. It forces you to envision how the things God has given you can also make an impact in the world around you. And now we're starting to see how the the three parts of the series are all fitting together. The grace of what God has given me can make an impact in the world around me. But the one important thing, the most important step is to make a plan, to sit down and decide in my own heart and in your own heart, how can I sow in a way that will result in a harvest? And maybe here's a better question. You you ready for this? What future harvest do you want to reap? A harvest of a large bank account. I'm not saying that saving for the future is bad. In fact, we'll talk about that at the end. But what's the ultimate big picture harvest? What's the legacy that you want in your future? Your generosity, how you sow in the present, will be what you reap in the future. It's the law of the harvest. It's a principle that we all agree with. So a plan makes you focus and define what the generous life looks like for you. So one last thing here, he's going to go back to this picture of the sower, um, the farmer who's sowing seeds and reaping them, and he gives one more application for us in these last two verses. He says, now, he, God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, the one who gives us all these things by grace, like we talked about in week one, he will increase your store of seed. So a big part of this is fear. And I think we can all relate to this. When a cause came your way and maybe you were moved to give, one of the first things you felt was fear. Well, if I give this away, what will happen? So Paul says, think about this. The one who's already given you so many things, he will increase what you have. There will be more. He will continue to take care of you. And then he uses the other picture. He will enlarge the harvest, not of your food, not of your money necessarily, but he will enlarge something even better, your righteousness, a bigger picture thing. See, so often when it comes to generosity, we see the the short-term impacts, whether it's, oh, I'm losing money if I give it away, or, hey, I can help this person for a few months. God sees the longer-term impact. His plan is a longer-term righteousness that gives him glory and loves the people around us. He will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Uh, The next thing he says is this, uh, you will be enriched. Wait a minute. I'm I'm giving away money. I'm giving away things. How can I be wealthier? He says, no, no. Being enriched doesn't mean you're wealthier. It just means you're gaining something. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Here's the thing. And Through us, as we work together, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And here's where the rubber hits the road. For me, I know that my generosity is often, I I, I let my sinful nature put a little disclaimer on it that when I'm generous toward others, I expect something in return. I expect a thank you, I expect a favor returned. If there's nothing then generosity can easily go away. But Paul says, the generosity we show, the grace of giving, is all about not thanksgiving for me, but thanksgiving to God. Or as Jesus put it, people will see your good gifts, they see your good works, and they will praise your Father in heaven. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with a kind of grace-filled generosity that doesn't expect anything in return, the only thing it hopes for is thanksgiving given to God. So here's the challenge. Here's what a plan does. When you have a plan that, that guides you through the generous life, a good plan keeps you focused on God's plan. And this is where things just get so crazy for me. Because not only is God's plan about his glory and his goodness, um, you know, his plan is is one that calls us to humility and being servant-minded. But ultimately, his plan is so much greater than, than maybe you even think. The context for this letter was that people had made a promise, but now there wasn't a plan to carry through. Did you know that God was actually different Normally, you know, we make a pledge, we make a promise. We're moved by something. We we say we'll make a difference and then we make a plan to, to make that happen. God was the opposite. By the time he had showed up and talked to Adam and Eve in the garden and said, you guys sinned today? You brought evil and death into this world? By the time he made a promise to them that he would send a savior to rescue them. By the time he made a promise, he had already had a plan. If you really want to exercise your mind this week, just read Ephesians chapter one, where it details what God did before he even created the world. Before he said, let there be, he had already made a plan that we would be holy and blameless in his sight through Jesus Christ. He already had a plan to redeem us before Adam and Eve even sinned. His plan was in place. His promise was just his way to communicate what he did had obligated himself to do. So think about this. God, before God ever made a promise, he he already had a plan in place. And now he invites you and he invites me to to think about how we can live in a similar way where our giving is not dependent on what people give back to us. It's a gift of grace, grace grace-filled Generosity doing so in a way that we find best to bless the people around us, bless the world around us, using whatever time, whatever resources we have to be a blessing in the world. A plan helps us stay on God's plan as we think about the bigger picture of what he did for me and for you. So as we wrap up, I just want to make things super practical and just ask you the question, what do you want your future harvest to look like? What do you want to sow, plan today that will allow you to reap the harvest that you want to reap? And as we wrap up, I acknowledge that many of you already have some amazing plans in place. I can see from our congregation, there are so many acts of generosity that we get to share with one another. I'm not saying that we're bad at this, but it is worth our attention and for some of us, it's time for maybe a first step. So can I ask the question, maybe, could you take this step? What's your plan? If you have a plan, would you just think about it this week? If you don't have a plan, I'll give you three simple things you can do to think about. So have a plan for the generous life. Because the generous life will guard you from guilt. It will guard you from grudging, giving. It will guard you from the, the kind of... Giving to receive, a plan will help you in the grace of giving. And so I'm going to give you three things here for the final fill-in. The first thing is prioritize what you give. And all of this fits under the idea of looking at what you have and assigning a percentage to it. Think about what God has given you. Think about the seeds that he has given you today. How can you plan? How can you plant them in a way that will reap the harvest you want to reap? So the first thing you decide is of what God has given you, how much do you want to give? And for some of you, the first step is to look at what are you currently giving? And I'm not just talking about the church. I'm talking about whatever you receive, you just automatically give away. Uh, for me and Amy, most of that is to church because I'm paying my own salary. That's important to us. <laughs> we don't give to receive. But for, for, for us, we want our, our, the bulk of our giving to be towards the, the difference we can make in this world through sharing Jesus with most people, with, with lots of people. So if our giving is mostly to this ministry. Uh, For some of you, I know that you kind of split it up. You've got maybe part of it is to church, part of it is to a nonprofit, part of it is to a family member who you just need to help support for a while. But you've decided that with this percentage of your money, the first percentage, you're going to give it away. And maybe for some of you, this is just the proof that money does not control you. Because you've decided the first part of it, you're just going to give it away. God is your master. God is your father. And money has no control over you. So as you think about this, would you just think, what percentage of your money do you want to give to ministry, to a nonprofit, to people who need it? Just give it away. Set that percentage first. And then think about, this is just good stewardship. How much do you need to save? You know, is it 10%? Is it 20%? What percentage should you be saving for the future to be a good steward of what God has given you so that you can continue to plant seeds in the future that will continue to reap harvest? What do you want to save and then the last thing is just live off the rest. Um, as you think about what God has given you, it's okay to, to have recreations. It's okay to have a cabin. It's okay to watch movies. It's okay to invest in recreational things. It's okay to take care of your family. And here's a, maybe a big thing. When God looks at these three things, he doesn't say, oh, the giving is for me and the rest is for you. But what do you think about an all-encompassing picture where all of this is for God's glory? Saving is for God's glory as you're a good steward. Living how you live and how you spend money is for God's glory. And as you have a plan, as you have a plan, it will be a blessing for you. And this is the most important step for living the generous life. Everyone wants to be generous. Those who follow Jesus want to excel in the grace, the grace of giving. Anyone can be generous, and when you have a plan, it's the most important step to making that happen. So this week, would you, A, just take another look at the plan you have, or B, if you don't have one, would you at least be familiar with what you're currently doing? Or C, take some steps to be intentional with realigning what you're doing so that what you sow today will result in the kind of harvest that you want to see in the future. Thanks so much for being part of this series. I hope you can join us again next week as we get to get into more of the Christmas festivities, the Christmas mode, as we talk about the reason for the season and how John the Baptist prepared people to meet Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Father in Heaven, it's uh, not easy to talk about money and giving and how we our resources or how we manage these things because I know that for a lot of people, it hits a lot of different places. I, I'm aware of the many people who are being so faithful with what they have and they're good stewards and they've been so intentional in their lives. And right now they are reaping a harvest of righteousness because of what they've done in the past. Thank you so much for the gifts of generosity that, that flow out through our congregation to this world I also want to acknowledge the people who haven't been intentional. In fact, even just talking about a plan makes them full of stress and anxiety because what will happen when they dig into the unknown? There can be a lot of stress and fear. I pray, I pray you'd give them a heart of trust to dig into the things they need to dig into so that they can be faithful with what they have and so that more than anything, you can give for them the generous life that you created them for. Give us the wisdom this week and the tools we need to be intentional with a plan so that we can be cheerful givers, reflecting the love that you first showed to us. Bless each of us and fill us with your grace and your forgiveness in Jesus' name. Amen.